Hello, and welcome to Capital Compass. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. Today, in episode 25, I'll be talking with Deacon Matt Hens about prison ministry. In this episode, we discuss prison ministry. Before we get to our interview, I just wanted to explain the difference between jail and prison ministry. For those who don't know, jail is where people are detained while awaiting trial. Prisons are where people are sent to serve time after being convicted of a crime. Because jails are for those who have not been convicted, oftentimes jail ministries serve at a more limited capacity compared to prison ministries. I'm excited for everyone to listen to my chat with Deacon Matt Hens. I want to preface it with a quote from Pope Francis when he visited a juvenile detention center in Panama in 2019 and spoke to young people in custody. He said, we are more than labels. We'll be right back after a brief message. Are you interested in staying up to date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org slash action dash center or texting CAN to 50457. Again, CAN, C-A-N, to 50457. Because Deacon Hens works with the Department of Corrections, I need to give a disclaimer that the opinions and statements contained therein are those of the employee in their personal capacity only, and do not represent those of any state agency. Today on the show, we welcome Deacon Matt Hens. He was ordained in the Diocese of Buffalo in 2011. However, he has been involved in prison ministry since 1987, and he was hired as a chaplain in 2015 and has served multiple correctional facilities in Western New York. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, so let's start off with kind of just the basics. What is prison ministry? And why is it so important? Well, prison ministry in general is exactly what it says. It is ministry in a prison. So uh, you're dealing with uh, people who are incarcerated uh, and trying to uh, help them on their spiritual journey. As, uh, as far as it's important, they're frequently a forgotten population, if you will. People tend to uh, think of them in general terms like those are criminals. You know, and they just they just hang that label on them and put them all in in this uh, category of undesirables, uh, and uh, and that's not entirely wrong. Uh, however, it does not look at them as the individual children of God that they are. It's only a minority of of people of Christians in general who are willing to step outside of their comfort zone, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Is 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 our comfort zones? Uh, and step outside of that in order to bring Christ uh, to our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated. Now, everybody has a different journey on how they get into ministry. So why did you decide to get involved in prison ministry? I don't know so much that I decided to get involved uh, as much as uh, I said yes to an invitation to get involved. It, it, early on in, in my adult life, as uh, my adult Christian walk, uh, I made a, uh, a retreat weekend in uh, in a movement called Crucio within the Catholic Church, which is a, uh, a retreat movement within the church. Uh, and that had a fundamental change in my life because it moved me from uh, having kind of a head understanding of God 
and uh, um, well, just it moved me into a very personal friendship relationship with the second person of the Trinity, uh, this friendship with Christ. And, uh, and it really changed me and drew me more into my faith. And as an outgrowth of that, there were uh, individuals who invited me to get involved in prison ministry in a similar type of movement uh, within the prison environment, which was called Kairos at that time. And that's how it started. What is kind of the generally the day to day being a prison minister when you're serving in prisons? Sure. Um, it, it changes on any given day. Uh, there's, there's a lot of ongoing training and education that has to happen uh, throughout the year. Uh, and, uh, but in terms of the ministry itself, a lot of it for chaplains is, um, is administrative, to be honest. Uh, you know, because uh, um, you're working with, uh, with, a, with a multitude of different uh, religious groups. Uh, and, uh, and they all need to have worship space. They all need to have, um, you know, the ability to follow their faith. Uh, and, uh, and as a chaplain, you work with many different faith groups. Uh, so that's a large part of it. Uh, but uh, you also have uh, uh, my favorite part, of course, is, is, is being able to participate in mass or a communion service in the absence of a priest. Uh, because when I when I can do that and I can fully embrace my own personal faith uh, and my calling as as a deacon as well, uh, then uh, and, and combine all those things with my calling as a chaplain, uh, and and uh, that's my favorite part of the ministry and uh, a real blessing, but a very difficult part of the job is is uh, you know when when somebody loses a spouse, a parent, a child. Uh, and uh, and they're physically separated from the family. They can't mourn. They can't grieve the way most of us ha have the opportunity to do. And uh, and somebody has to break the news to them. Uh, and uh, and that falls to a chaplain. Uh, that's uh, that's a very very challenging but a blessed part of the job. Now a lot of the times it seems like people who commit crimes have very troubled pasts, and they themselves need support in God's redemption. You know, do you agree? And if so, how do we help them with that? Oh, it's 100 percent true. Uh, and uh, and and I think that a lot of people might be listening to this might uh, say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Whether it's just uh, anything as simple as, well, yeah, it only happened to me once. But one time I did drive while I was drunk. Well, if if you did that and you happen to have an accident with somebody and uh, death was involved, then you're going to jail. Now, that's not typical. Is, is it most people in jail did not make only one mistake uh, most people have had very troubled paths uh, some of the stories that i have heard from individuals are just heartbreaking uh, the kind of childhoods that they grew up with and and uh, the environments that they grew up within and uh, so it runs the gamut it runs the gamut and, and from the worst case scenario you can think of to something as innocuous as i well it's not innocuous if anyone dies but something as, uh, as simple as one time mistake that somebody could make. And uh, their need for redemption is no different than yours or mine. Their need to be loved and to know that they are loved by God. Their need to know that God forgives them and that there is no sin that they have committed that is beyond the redemptive power of, of Jesus Christ in their life. We all need that, whether you're incarcerated or not, you need that. And, uh, um, and, uh, it's, it's incredibly important for us as individuals to bring that to each other. And, and even if we know it, 
even if someone knows it already, to remind them of it. Because we all have those moments when we forget it, even if we know it. Now, although New York no longer has solitary confinement, it's still legal in many other states. When prisoners are facing life in prison or continued solitary confinement, they can feel a sense of hopelessness. How can we help to restore their faith? Restoring their faith is, is, is something that God has to do. But what we can do, of course, is pray for them, just as, uh, as we would pray for anybody who's in need. Uh, and that's something everyone can do, regardless of whether they go any further than that or not. Uh, if you want to go further than that and helping people along those paths, uh, most states, uh, and certainly in New York State, we have volunteers who do come into the prison. That's how I got started in prison ministry was as a volunteer. And those opportunities, if you, you, know, if you want to reach out to uh, your diocese, you can find out what those opportunities might be uh, available to you. Uh, I know that in the Buffalo Diocese, uh, we have that uh, underneath uh, the pro-life umbrella because being pro-life is, is from conception to natural death, of course, but it is also every point in between. And just the sanctity of life uh, of each individual, whether impoverished in, in, in some way uh, or needy in some way or uh, suffering from chronic illness or natural disasters or from a life of bad mistakes uh, that, that landed somebody in, uh, in an incarceration situation. It, whatever it is, we all are in need of that. and We all need to be reminded of it. And, and uh, I, I would say that prayer, number one, like I said, and, and volunteering, number two, uh, and, uh, and a third way might be to assist in some way financially with, uh, with other groups that are volunteering in the prison environment. For many, it's hard to understand the position incarcerated people are in and truly empathize with them. They believe we live in a completely different world than prisoners. However, St. Paul wrote some of his letters in prison. What can we learn from his experience and how can we apply it to the modern day? Well, let me, let me bring it right to the modern day. And uh, I had, when I was in, in seminary, uh, one of uh, my fellow now deacons that uh, was in my class at that time, I invited him to get involved in prison ministry with me. And, uh, and he said, um, what do I have in common? What can I bring to the table in an environment like that? I mean, I grew up in the suburbs. I am as white bread as they come. And, uh, and, and I have nothing to offer them. And, uh, and I basically said, you know, do you have a mother and a father? Well, of course I do. Do you eat dinner? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I went on with other just daily examples. And I said, can you treat them as human beings? Absolutely. That's all you need. That's all you need. You need to be able to recognize them as people because frequently there's a tendency to, to always, like I said, to, to just lump people into categories and, and think that there's this, this, monolithic group, but really all it is, is it's just another community of individuals with different circumstances than the, the community you're used to, but they're, they're individuals just like you and I. That's absolutely correct. And as you talked before, how in the Diocese of Buffalo, the prison ministry is under pro-life. It's all about respecting life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that also, uh, we like to highlight, especially during Respect Life Month, about how it's not 
while we do obviously care about womb to tomb, it's everything in between too that sometimes people forget about. Right, right. They, it's not just about abortion. It's not just about euthanasia. It's, it's, it's about respecting life. Now, anytime a crime is committed, you know, there are several victims, you know, the target of the crime, the people who love the perpetrator, and we forget how many people affect, uh, you know, how many people are affected. How can prison ministry help families of the incarcerated? You know, can prison ministers also assist victims to heal? That's not something that, as a chaplain, I do frequently. In in fact, as as an employee of, of the state, I'm I'm really not supposed to have contact with their families. However, chaplains do have contact with their families, especially at time of a death in the family. And and that gives us the opportunity to minister to the families at that time. But I would say that the main part in prison ministry, direct prison ministry, is is you help the families by helping the individual who's incarcerated. Uh, You help them uh, face up to the fact, the reality of their situation. You help them to realize that remorse for the things that they have done and the victims of their crimes has to be genuine and it has to be from the heart. Uh, And that is at the core of the whole process of of not only accepting God's forgiveness, but about forgiving themselves. And once they've they've done that, and, and and frequently that's that's something that's the hardest thing. It's 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 it's, it's even harder for them to get forgiveness to themselves than it is to uh, um, reach a point where frequently the victims of the crimes have forgiven them. But the the key to all of it in helping the families, helping the victims, helping the perpetrators, all of it, the the key of it, it boils down to that one word, forgiveness. And um, when that starts to happen, everyone starts to heal. What advice would you give families or victims having trouble forgiving a prisoner or or you know a prisoner asking for forgiveness? Well, um, I know it's it's a it's a it's a slightly loaded question. It's it's not just a loaded question, but it's it's the answer is going to be absolutely different for every individual situation. So I'll just I'll just talk about my own life when forgiveness was very difficult. There was a time when there was a business dealing that I had, and the person did something uh, that cost me and my family dearly. Uh, and I, <laughs> the only the only prayer I had, I knew I had to pray for him, but the only prayer that I had at that time was, "Lord, smite him," because if you don't smite him, he's never going to have a conversion experience, and he's going to burn in hell forever. So smite him for his own good. And that was the only prayer that I could offer that was genuine from my heart. In offering that first prayer, which was really kind of sketchy, you know, uh, you know, to to do him harm for his own good. And uh, just by opening the door a little bit to praying for him was all the opening that God needed. And and over time, God worked on my heart uh, and my prayers changed. And until eventually I got to the point where, where I was praying that, that God would bless him and, and do whatever was necessary to get him into heaven. And uh, I can honestly say I've forgiven that person this day. Uh, he's not on my Christmas card list, but, but, uh, but I have forgiven him. Restorative justice involves all of us because it supports the community that was harmed by the crime. Can you recommend to our listeners how they can assist in advancing restorative justice? 
There is no easy answer to that because a lot of things, uh, there's, there's so many uh, moving parts in play. And, um, uh, and when we try to advance certain things for restorative justice that seem like a good idea on the surface, sometimes they have unintentional consequences. Uh, so, um, so I have no specifics to offer, but to pay attention to it, to pray for the Holy Spirit, to guide those who are involved in it and to guide you and, and to guide ourselves in, in, in what we might be called to do. Um, and I would say that for most of us, restorative justice it boils down to not the big issues that you read about in the news, but they, they talk about, uh, you know, if you know somebody that, uh, that is incarcerated, you personally know them already, write them a letter, you know, tell them that, that God loves them. Uh, and just, but, but be cautious, be cautious. You don't want to open yourself up for uh, certain things and, and talk to, maybe get a spiritual director, talk to a priest, talk to somebody, talk, talk to me, talk to some other chaplain uh, about the things to be careful of. But uh, um, reaching out and treating them as individuals and letting them know they're not forgotten, that they are not forgotten. Uh, that they are not throwaway, they are not trash, they are not uh, um, just, you know, something to sweep under the rug. They are human beings. And to do that, especially if it was a friend of yours or somebody in your family, don't, don't forget about them. Now, how can people get involved in jail or prison ministry and help advocate for the criminal justice system that upholds the dignity of every human person? Well, um, in terms of advocacy, I would point them to to the Catholic Conference and and to reach out uh, to their uh, to their diocese as well and see uh, what ways that might be possible. Uh, and uh, as far as getting involved in in working directly in prison ministry, again, I, I would uh, I would just see what's available in each individual diocese and, and talk to some people and see who's doing what and maybe you can plug into something that's pre-existing. Um, that's a lot easier than, than trying to start something on your own and say, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, do a Bible study with, uh, with incarcerated individuals. And, um, and that's a great idea, but, uh, probably a place to start is to see if somebody's already doing that and seeing if you can plug in and, uh, and get a little experience with, with a group that's already up and running. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast, and thank you so much, Deacon Matt Hens, for coming on the show. We're going to take another holiday break, and we'll be back in the new year. So, from all of us at the New York State Catholic Conference, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Make sure you're subscribed to get notified when the next episode drops, or follow us on social media for all the latest. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at NYSCatholicConf, and on Facebook at NYS Catholic Conference. Thanks again, and God bless.